volume one chapter six of the day will come by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six is not short pain well borne that brings long ease and lays the soul to sleep in quiet grave sleep after toil port after stormy seas ease after war death after life the morning dawned upon a weeping household there was nothing to be done when mr dolby the village surgeon arrived at cheriton house he could only examine the death wound and express his opinion as to its character it was certainly not self-inflicted he told the servants as they stood about him in a stony group self-inflicted indeed echoed lambert i should think not if there ever was a young man who had cause to set store by his life it was sir godfrey carmichael it's murder mr dolby rank murder yes i'm afraid it's murder said dolby with an air which implied that suicide would have been a bagatelle in comparison but who could have done it and why he asked after a pause the servants inclined to the opinion that it was the act of a poacher lord cheriton had always been what they called a mark upon poachers there was doubtless a vendetta to which the pheasant's staring fraternity had pledged themselves and sir godfrey was the victim of that vendetta however strange it might appear that hatred of lord cheriton should find its expression in the murder of lord cheriton's son-in-law we must wait for the inquest before we can know anything said dolby when he had done all that surgery could do for that cold clay which was to compose the lifeless form in its final rest in a spare bedroom at the end of the corridor remote from that bridal chamber where juanita was lying motionless in her dumb despair the local policeman was on the scene at seven o'clock prowling about the house with a countenance of solemn stolidity and asking questions which seemed to have very little direct bearing on the case and taking measurements between the spot where the murdered man had been found too plainly marked by the pool of blood which had soaked into the velvet pile and imaginary points upon the terrace outside with the doctor at his elbow to make suggestions and as far as in him lay behaving as a skilled london detective might have behaved under the same circumstances which conduct on his part did not prevent mr dolby telegraphing to scotland yard as soon as the wires were at his disposal he was in the village post-office when the clock struck eight and the postmistress, who had hung out a flag and decorated her shop-front with garlands on the wedding-day was watching him with an awe-stricken countenance as he wrote his telegrams the first was to scotland yard sir godfrey carmichael murdered late last night send one of your most trustworthy men to investigate the second was to lord cheriton grand hotel parame st malo france sir godfrey carmichael was murdered last night between twelve and one o'clock murderer unknown death instantaneous pray come immediately the third was to matthew dalbrook more briefly announcing the murder he was going to send a fourth message to lady jane carmichael began to write her address then thought better of it and tore up the form i'll drive over and tell her he said to himself poor soul it will break her heart to let her learn how she may but it would be cruel to telegraph all the same every one at cheriton knew that lady jane's affections were centred upon her only son she had daughters and she was very fond of them they were both married and had married well but their homes lay far off one in the midlands the other in the north of england and although in each case there was a nursery full of grandchildren neither the young married woman nor the babies had ever filled lady jane's heart as her son had filled it 
and now mr dolby had taken upon himself to go and tell this gentle widow that the light of her life was extinguished that the son she adored had been brutally and inexplicably murdered it was a hard thing for any man to do and mr dolby was a warm-hearted man with home ties of his own before mr dolby's gig was halfway to swanage his telegram had been delivered at dorchester and matthew dalbrook and his son were starting for cheriton with a pair of horses in the solicitor's neat tea-cart which was usually driven with one theodore drove and father and son sat side by side in a dreary silence what could be said the telegram told so little they had speculated and wondered about it in brief broken sentences as they stood in the office fronting the sunny street waiting for the carriage they had asked each other if this ghastly thing could be if it were not some mad metamorphosis of words some blunder of a telegraph's clerk rather than a horrible reality murdered a man who had been sitting at their table full of life and spirits in the glow of youth and health and happiness less than twenty-four hours ago murdered a man who had never known what it was to have an enemy who had been popular with all classes had been how awful to think of him as belonging to the past he who yesterday looked forward to so radiant a future and theodore dalbrook had envied him as even the most generous of men must needs envy the winner in the race for love could it be or if it were really true how could it be what manner of murderer what motive for the murder where had it happened on the highway in the woody labyrinths of the chase and upon the mind of theodore flashed the same idea which had suggested itself to the servants it might be the work of a poacher whom sir godfrey had surprised during a late ramble yet a poacher must be hard bested before he resorts to murder and sir godfrey easy-tempered and generous was hardly the kind of man to take upon himself the functions of a gamekeeper and give chase to any casual depredator it was useless to wonder or to argue while the facts of the case were all unrevealed it would be time to do that when they were at cheriton so the father and son sat in dismal silence save that now and again the elder man sighed poor juanita my poor juanita and she was so happy yesterday theodore winced at the words yes she had been so happy and he had despaired because of her happiness the cup of gladness which had brimmed over for her had been to him a fountain of bitterness it seemed to him as if he had never realized how fondly he loved her till he saw her by her husband's side an embodiment of life's sunshine innocently revealing her felicity in every look and word it was so long since he had ceased to hope he had even taught himself to think he was resigned to his fate that he could live his life without her but that delusion ceased yesterday and he knew that she was dearer than she had ever been to him now that she was irrevocably lost it was human nature perhaps to love her best when love was most hopeless they drove along the level roads towards cheriton in the dewy freshness of the summer morning by meadow and copse by heath and cornfield the skylarks carolling in the hot blue sky the corncrake creaking inside the hedge the chaffinch reiterating his monotonous tone the jays screaming in the wood all living creatures revelling in the cloudless summer it was hard awful unsupportable that he who was with them yesterday who had driven along this road under the westering sun was now cold clay a subject for the coroner a something to be hidden away in the family vault and forgotten as soon as possible for what does consolation mean except persuasion to forget 
never had the way between dorchester and cheriton chase looked lovelier than in this morning atmosphere never had the cattle grouped themselves into more delightful pictures amidst those shallow waters which reflected the sky never had the lights and shadows been fairer upon those level meadows and yonder broken hills theodore dalbrook loved every bit of that familiar landscape and even to-day amidst the horror and wonder of his distracted thoughts he had a dim sense of surrounding beauty as of something seen in a dream he could have hardly told where he was or what the season was or whether it was the morning or the evening light that was gilding the fields yonder the lowered blinds at cheriton told only too surely that the ghastly announcement in the telegram was no clerical error the face of the footman who opened the door was pale with distress he conducted mr dalbrook and his son to the library where the butler appeared almost immediately to answer the elder man's eager questions not on the highway not in the woods or the park but in the drawing-room where the butler had seen him sitting in a low armchair by the open window in the tranquil summer night absorbed in his book he was that wrapped up that i don't believe he knew i was in the room sir said lambert till i asked him if there was anything further wanted for the night and then he starts looks up at me with his pleasant smile and answers in his quiet friendly way nothing more thank you lambert is it very late i told him it was past eleven and i asked him if i should shut the drawing-room shutters before i went to bed but he says no i'll see to that i like the windows open and then he went on reading and less than two hours afterwards he was lying on the ground in front of the window dead have you any suspicion lambert as to the murderer well no sir not unless it was a poacher or an escaped lunatic the lunatic seems rather the more probable conjecture said matthew dalbrook the police are at work already i hope well yes sir our local police are doing all that lies in their power and i have done what i could to assist them mr dolby wired to scotland yard at the same time as he wired to you that was wisely done have there been no traces of the murderer discovered no indication of any kind nothing sir but one of the under housemaids remembers to have heard footsteps about on the terrace after dark on several occasions within the last fortnight once while sir godfrey and our young lady were at dinner and two or three times at a later hour when they were in the drawing-room or the library did she see any one no sir she is rather a dull kind of girl and never so much as troubled to find out what the footsteps meant her bedroom is one of the old attics on the south side of the house and she was sitting at work near her open window when she heard the footsteps going and coming slow and stealthy like upon the terrace at intervals she is sure they were not her ladyship's nor sir godfrey's steps on either occasion she says she knows their walk and she would swear to these footsteps as altogether different slower more creeping like as she puts it has no one been seen lurking about after dark no one sir as we have heard of and the constable questioned all the servants pretty close i can tell you he hasn't left much for the london detective to do matthew dalbrook had been the only questioner in this interrogatory theodore had sunk into a chair on entering the room and sat silent with a face of marble he was thinking of the stricken girl whose life had been desolated by this mysterious crime his father had not forgotten her but he had wanted first of all to learn all he could about her husband's death 
how does lady carmichael bear it he asked presently very sadly sir very sadly mrs morley and celestine are both with her mr dolby ordered that she should be kept as quiet as possible not allowed to leave her room if they could help it but it has been very difficult to keep her quiet poor dear young lady she wanted to go to him poor girl poor girl so happy yesterday said matthew dalbrook his son sat silent as if he were made of stone far very far off as it were at the end of a long dark vista cut sharply across an impenetrable wood of choking thorns and blinding briars he saw juanita again radiant again happy again loving and beloved and on the threshold of another life the vision dazzled him almost to blindness but could it ever be could that loving heart ever forget this agony of to-day ever beat again to a joyful measure he wrenched himself from that selfish reverie he felt a wretch for having yielded up his imagination even for a moment to that alluring vision he was here to mourn with her here to pity her to sympathize with this unspeakable grief murdered her lover-husband shot to death by an unknown hand her honeymoon ended with one murderous flash that honeymoon which had seemed the prelude to a lifetime of love i should like to see her said mr dalbrook i think it would be a comfort to her to see me however agitated she may be will you take my name to the housekeeper and ask her opinion lambert looked doubtful as to the wisdom of the course but was ready to obey all the same mr dolby said she was to be kept very quiet sir that she wasn't to see anybody that could hardly apply to her own people mr dolby telegraphed for me did he sir then i conclude he would not object to her ladyship seeing you i'll send up your name perhaps while the message is being taken you would like to have a look at the spot where it happened yes i want to know all that can be known lambert had been so busy with the constable all the morning that he felt himself almost on a level with scotland yard talent and he took a morbid interest in that dark stain on the delicate half-tints of the velvet pile and in such few details as he was able to expound he dispatched a footman upstairs and he led the dalbrooks to the drawing-room where he opened the shutters of that window through which the assassin must have aimed and let a flood of sunshine into the darkened room the chair the table and lamp stood exactly as they had stood last night lambert took credit to himself for not having allowed them to be moved by so much as an inch any assistance in my power i shall be only too happy to give to the london detective he said of course coming on the scene as a total stranger he can't be expected to do much without help there was no need to point out that ghastly stain upon the carpet the shaft of noonday sunshine seemed to concentrate its brightness on that grisly patch dark 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 with the witness of a cruel murder the murder of a man who had never done an unkindly act or harboured an unworthy thought theodore dalbrook stood looking at that stain it seemed to bring the fatal reality nearer to him he looked at the low chair with its covering of peacock plush and its turkish embroidery draped daintily across the broad back and capacious arms a chair to live in a sybarite's estate and then at the satinwood book-table filled with such books as the lounger loves southey's doctor burton table talk by coleridge waitley rogers the sentimental journey rochefoucauld caxtoniana Ilia, 
and thrown carelessly upon one of the shelves a handkerchief of cobweb cambric with a monogram that occupied a third of the fabric j c her handkerchief dropped there last night as she arranged the books for her husband's use putting her own favourites in his way lambert took up a book and opened it with a dismal smile handing it to mr dalbrook as he did so it was wider horizons the volume he had been reading when the bullet struck him and those open pages were spattered with his blood put it away for god's sake man cried dalbrook horrified whatever you do don't let lady carmichael see it no sir better not perhaps sir but it's evidence and it ought to be produced at the inquest produce if you like but there is evidence enough to show that he was murdered on this spot as he sat reading sir the book is a great point and then lambert expounded the position of that lifeless form making much of every detail as he had done to the constable while he was talking the door was opened suddenly and juanita rushed into the room lord have mercy on us she mustn't see that cried lambert pointing to the carpet matthew dalbrook hurried forward to meet her and caught her in his arms before she could reach that fatal spot he held her there looking at her with pitying eyes while theodore approached slowly silently agonized by the sight of her agony the change from the joyous self-abandonment of yesterday to the rigid horror of to-day was the most appalling transformation that he had ever looked upon her face was of a livid pallor her large dark eyes were distended and fixed and all their brilliancy was quenched like a light blown out her blanched lips trembled as she tried to speak and it was after several futile efforts to express her meaning that she finally succeeded in shaping a sentence distinctly have they found his murderer not yet dearest it is far too soon to hope for that but it is not for you to think about that juanita all will be done be sure rest secure in the devotion of those who love you and with a break in his voice who loved him she lifted her head quickly with an angry light in the eyes which had been so dull till that moment do you think i will leave that work to others she said it is my business it is all that god has left me to do in this world it is my business to see that his murderer suffers not as i suffer that can never be but all that the law can do the law which is so merciful to murderers nowadays you don't think he can get off lightly do you uncle they will hang him won't they hang him hang him hang him she repeated in hoarse dull syllables a few moments agony after a night of terror so little so little and i have to live my desolate life my punishment is for a lifetime my love god will be good to you he can lighten all burdens murmured dalbrook gently he cannot lighten mine not by the weight of a single hair he has stretched forth his hand against me in hatred and anger perhaps because i loved his creature better than i loved him my dearest this is madness i did i did she reiterated i loved my husband better than i loved my god i would have worshipped satan if i could have saved him by satan's help i loved him with all my heart my mind and strength as we were taught to love god there was not room in my heart for any other religion he was the beginning and the end of my creed and god saw my happy love and hated me for it he is a jealous god we are taught that when we are little children he is a jealous god 
and he put it into the head of some distracted creature to come to that window and shoot my husband a violent fit of hysteria followed these wild words matthew dalbrook felt that all attempts at consolation must needs be vain for some time to come until this tempest of grief was calmed nothing could be done she will have her mother here in a day or two said theodore that may bring some comfort juanita heard him even in the midst of her hysterical sobbing her hearing was abnormally keen no one no one can comfort me unless they can give me back my dead she started up suddenly from the sofa where matthew had placed her and grasped his arm with convulsive force take me to him she entreated take me to him uncle you were always kind to me they won't let me go to him it is brutal it is infamous of them i have a right to be there by and by my dear girl when you are calmer i will be calm this instant if you will take me to him she said commanding herself at once with a tremendous effort choking down those rising sobs clasping her convulsed throat with constraining hands tightening her tremulous lips see she said i am quite calm now i will not give way again take me to him let me see him that i may be sure my happy life was not all a dream a mad woman's dream as it seems to have been now when i cannot look upon his face mr dalbrook looked at his son interrogatively let her see him said theodore gently we cannot lessen her sorrow it must have its way better perhaps that she should see him and accustom herself to her grief better for her brain however it may torture her heart he saw the risk of a further calamity in his cousin's state the fear that her mind would succumb under the burden of her sorrow it seemed to him that there was more danger in thwarting her natural desire to look upon her beloved dead than in letting her have her way the housekeeper had followed her young mistress to the drawing-room and was waiting there she shook her head and murmured something about mr dolby's orders but submitted to the authority of a kinsman and family solicitor as even superior to the faculty she led the way silently to that upper chamber where the murdered man was lying matthew dalbrook put his cousin's icy hand through his arm and supported her steps as they slowly followed theodore remained in the drawing-room walking up and down in deepest thought stopping now and then in his slow pacing to and fro to contemplate that stain upon the velvet pile and the empty chair beside it in the room above juanita knelt beside the bed where he who kissed her last night on the threshold of her chamber lay in his last slumber a marble figure with calm dead face shrouded by the snowy sheet with flowers white waxen exotics scattered about the bed she lifted the sheet and looked upon him and kissed him with love's last despairing kiss and then she knelt beside the bed with her face bent in her clasped hands calmer than she had been at any moment since she found her murdered husband lying at her feet it's wonderful whispered the housekeeper to mr dalbrook it seems to have soothed her poor dear to see him and i was afraid she would have broke down worse than ever you must give way to her a little mrs morley she has a powerful mind and she must not be treated like a child she will live through her trouble and rise superior to it be sure of that terrible as it is the door opened softly and a woman came into the room a woman of about five-and-forty of middle height slim and delicately made with aquiline nose and fair complexion and flaxen hair just touched with grey she was deadly pale 
but her eyes were tearless and she came quietly to the bed and fell on her knees by juanita's side and hid her face as juanita's was hidden and the first sound that came from her lips was a long low moan a sound of greater agony than matthew dalbrook had ever heard in his life until that moment good god he muttered to himself as he moved to a distant window i had forgotten lady jane it was lady jane the gentle soul who had loved that poor clay with a love that had grown and strengthened with every year of his life with a love that had won liberal response from the recipient there had never been a cloud between them never one moment of disagreement or doubt each had been secure in the certainty of the other's affection it had been a union such as is not often seen between mother and son and it was ended ended by the red hand of murder matthew dalbrook left the room in silence beckoning to the housekeeper to follow him leave them together he said they will be more comfort to each other than any one else in the world can be to either of them keep in the way here in the corridor in case of anything going wrong fainting or hysterics for instance but so long as they are tolerably calm let them be together and undisturbed he went back to his son and they both left the house soon afterwards and drove off to find the coroner and to confer with him later in the afternoon they saw the local policeman whose discoveries though he evidently thought them important mr dalbrook considered nil he had found out that a certain village freebooter ostensibly an agricultural labourer nocturnally a poacher bore a grudge against lord cheriton and had sworn to be even with him sooner or later the constable opined that being an ignorant man this person might have mistaken lord cheriton's son-in-law for lord cheriton himself he had discovered in the second place that two vans of gipsies had encamped just outside the chase on the night after the arrival of the bridal pair they were in fact the very gipsies who had provided aunt sally and the french shooting gallery for the amusement of the populace and he opined that some of these gipsies were in it why they should be in it he did not take upon himself to explain but he declared that his experience of the tribe justified his suspicions he was also of opinion that the murderer had come with the intent to plunder the drawing-room which was in his own expression chock-full of valuables and that being disappointed and furthermore detected in that intent he had tried to make all things safe by a casual murder but man alive sir godfrey was sitting in his armchair absorbed in his book there was nothing to prevent any intending burglar sneaking away unseen you must find some better scent than that if you mean to track the murderer i hope sir with my experience of the district i shall have a better chance of finding him than a stranger imported from the metropolis said constable barber severely i conclude there will be a reward offered mr dalbrook there will and a large one i must not take upon myself to name the figure lord cheriton will be here to-morrow or next day and he will no doubt take immediate steps you may consider yourself a very lucky man barber if you can solve this mystery matthew dalbrook turned from the eager face of the police officer with a short angry sigh it was of the reward the man was thinking no doubt congratulating himself perhaps upon the good luck which had thrown such a murder in his way and presently the man from scotland yard would be on the scene keen and business-like yet full of a sportsman's ardour intent on discovery as on a game in which the stakes were worth winning little cared either of these for the one fair life cut short for the other young life blighted. End of chapter 6